The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Open your Bible, if you will, to the two passages we've listed for you, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you're finding that, let me thank you for giving me the joy of being a part of your church these last seven months. I appreciate you. Thank you for letting me be me. Thank you that you didn't try to make me Mike Shaw number two. I never could be that big of a preacher. Some of you will catch that when you get home. I do love him and Mary. Janice and I were about to see them in the hospital, and I'm glad she's home. But I thank you with all my heart, and let me say just the words, because I'm sure in the back of your mind, if you were not here a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned this, For the two Sundays between now and when Dr. Watkins begins his ministry here, you have two excellent preachers. A week from today, on February 15, when I will be beginning another interim at First Baptist Opelika, Alabama, Dr. Bryant Strain will be preaching for us next Sunday morning. He was the founding pastor of the Brookwood Baptist Church up on the edge of Birmingham, and is a retired now, but a very wonderful Bible preacher. And you'll be blessed by his presence, Bryant Strain. The following Sunday, two weeks from today, Dr. Sammy Gilbreth, who is the Director of Evangelism for the State of Alabama, and will be here to begin the State Evangelism Conference the next two days out at Trustful. But he will be our preacher on February the 22nd. And then, March the 1st, that day has finally, finally come. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we don't faint. You didn't faint. You didn't give up. The pastor search committee continued working and functioning. And last Sunday, you did a wonderful job of affirming them in the calling virtually unanimously of Dr. Watkins as our pastor. And I commend you for that. I love him. I know him. I appreciate him. And you're in for a real blessing. Now look with me, if you will, at 2 Timothy chapter 4. What I want us to do today is to keep in mind on this Sunday, uh, a few weeks before he comes, that we're about to enter into what I would call a ministry of reciprocity. You know what reciprocate is. Certain things he does and certain things you do. Certain things he does and certain things we do. Not in a legalistic way, but lovingly, somewhat like husbands and wives. If you don't have a reciprocal relationship in your marriage, you're in a heap of trouble. But if you do have, you know that it can work. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. To begin with, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know that Timothy was like a son 
to Paul, and he was kind of his son in the faith. And Paul is writing this letter to instruct him as a man of God what to do. And listen to what he says. <coughs> in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. A wonderful challenge. Now, on the other side is some of the things we should do. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just two verses here, verses 2 and 3. Paul says to the church at Corinth, and you know, he had more problem with this church than all the other churches in the New Testament. And he's writing a corrective word to them. He said, you yourselves are our letter, or as the King James says, our epistle, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ. Look at the next phrase. The result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. March the 1st, our church will embark in a direction You've not been before in 35, 36 years. You're beginning a brand new chapter in the life of this church. And it is a reciprocal relationship, somewhat like the marriage relationship. And so this morning, I felt that it was proper that I could talk to you perhaps better than others could about what our church can expect from our new pastor and what our new pastor can expect of us. It is a reciprocal relationship. It's not you do this and we do this legalistically, but in love, what can we expect from him and what can he expect from us? Quickly, let me suggest to you five things that you have every right to expect from him. Already, as Paul has said here in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, we expect him to be a preacher, a pastor. The Bible told him, preach the word. And then elsewhere in the scripture, be shepherds of God's flock. The pastor really wears two hats among many hats. He is a preacher, but he also is a pastor. And it's not sometimes easy to balance those two. But you have every right to be expecting him every single Sunday. 
preach, and not just to preach, but to preach what? The Bible, the Word of God. Every Sunday as David Watkins stands here, you have every right for him to say something to this effect, like I did. Open your Bible. We're not here to review current events. We're not here to review the latest book on the bestseller list. Give us a word from God. I promise you he will do that. He has an earned doctorate in preaching from one of the leading homileticians in America, Haddon Robinson up in uh, Garden Conwell Seminary in Massachusetts. I don't know how a guy like that got out of the South, but he did. And David went there and did his study and did a wonderful job after finishing with us at Beeson Divinity School. Now, you have every right to expect of him to be a preacher and to be a pastor. Both of those are expectations. But now look carefully at the second thing. We have every right to recognize that we expect him to be a student. Now listen to me. We expect the preacher to be a preacher, but I want to say to you, no man or woman anywhere can be a preacher of the word of God who is not a student of the word of God. I know sometime when you sit out there that you look up here and you just say, well, it just flows out. You know, they just open their mouth, you push a button, boom, out comes a sermon. Well, I want to testify after doing this for many, 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 many years. It isn't that way. Study is imperative. Sometimes people come by to me and say, well, Dr. Carter, how long does it take you to get up a sermon? And my answer is all my life. I've been studying all my life, and really that's a part of it. Now, there are hours and hours that have to be put in in diligent study. So be respectful of that. I know sometimes I hear preachers say, and they think that they're saying a wonderful thing, and oftentimes they'll get amen to that. I'm always available to my people. Well, I want to tell you, I've never been that kind of person. I don't think David Watkins will be. The preacher who's always available to everybody is seldom available to God. And you don't want a preacher like that. Amen. When he's alone with God, leave him alone. Because when he comes here to preach, it'll be something worthwhile. He won't just have to say something, he'll have something to say. And there's a world of difference between the two. So be sure that we understand that the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. To be a preacher like we want here in our church, it demands study. Just like the student in school who's going to make the dean's list or make the honor society or straight A's, have to learn to study and to do it. Now, not just to study the Bible. That's the first and foremost thing. But he's got to study our church. David Watkins has never been a member of First Baptist Church, much less the pastor. And please hear me now. Mike Shaw knew you. He knew your parents. He knew your grandparents. He knew what county you were born in. He knew when some of you were born. He's known you all your life. David Watkins is not that way. He's coming in brand spanking new. And he's got to study our church. Now let me in. He, he doesn't know any of this that I'm saying to you. He may listen to it, and I can hear him now saying amen. Don't bombard him with, what are you going to do about this? Pastor, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about... All these things need to be attended to. 
but he's going to have to study the church to determine what should we do first and second and third. So he is going to have to be a student, not only of the Bible, but of our church, but also of the human personality. You think, stop and think about it. Maybe you never have. But a pastor has got to be pastor of the little children and get out on their level and talk to them face to face. So he's not way up there. and Speak to them in language they can. Sometimes sing with them. Sometimes laugh with them. And then if he can, to get up from there and speak to the kids, the teenagers, the adolescents, the single adults, the young married adults, the median adults, the old folks like I am. He's got to speak to all of that. But to do that, you've got to study human personality, what the needs are. And so to relate what is in the Bible to where people are living, whatever their age in life may be. So he's got to be a student of the Bible, of the church, and of human personality. Now, besides being a preacher and a pastor and being a student, he also has to be, beyond these things, he has to be someone who is an example. You know what I'm talking about? I heard parents say along the way, don't do as I do, do as I say do. Mom and dad, you're whistling in the dark if you think that's ever going to cut eyes with your children. It won't. Most of the time, learning how to behave is caught as much as it's taught. Your example, my example to our children speaks volumes to them and when they see our lifestyle contradict what we say, they're confused. The same thing is true with the pastor. You expect him to be an example. That's exactly what Titus Paul said in Titus 2.7. Be examples of the flock. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter 5. Now, that does not mean, hear me now, that does not mean he's perfect. He is not perfect. And if he was, he'd make you miserable because you're not perfect. Aren't you glad? He's human. Elsewhere, Paul, Paul says to him, I remember your T-E-A-R-S. What? Tears. Timothy cried. We're not told what it was all about. May have been about the condition of the church. May have been about the condition of the world. May have been about people who've lost loved ones. Could be about people who've gone through divorce. Your pastor will be a human being. He will shed tears. But at the same time, he will be our example. He will be one who lives what he preaches. His walk corroborates his talk. And that's what we have every right to expect. I say this to pastors. I say this to you. We have every right to expect him to be a preacher, a pastor, to be a student, to be an example. But then the best way I could put it for you would be that he'd be a leader with vision. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is that the church that is still doing church like it was done 50 years ago is soon out of date. You can't do church like now. I don't, the Bible is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. The nature of man doesn't change. But we don't do church like we did 50 years ago. If you think we do, you just hadn't been around. 
50 years ago and longer when I first started preaching, we didn't have church nurseries. I'm a young teenage preacher right down here at Chilton County. I stood up and tried to preach and here were women nursing their babies right in church. I don't, can you blame Aren't you glad we don't have it that way now? I know you are. Aren't you glad for those dear ladies and men who work in the nursery? I was at a funeral just the other day and I could hardly hear what the minister was saying. Two or three crying babies and mamas who didn't have sense enough to get them out of there. It's okay to take the baby to the funeral, but if it's nobody can hear and everybody's looking at your child and everybody's thinking what a stupid mama you are. (laughs) I'm just telling you like it is, don't do that. But fortunately, we don't do church that way. I can remember, and some of you can, the old funeral home fans. You know what I'm talking about? Funeral home, you children ask your grandmother what I'm talking about. Before the days of air conditioning, the only way we stayed cool in church was an old fan that usually was from the funeral home. And people would sit in church doing like this, doing this, swatting flies and doing like swatting Aren't you glad you could sit here comfortably? Air conditioning. Now, you laugh at that? Listen, when I came to Shays Mountain, the worship center we had at that time when they were building it, just over 50 years ago, somebody dared stood up and said, I think we ought to save money and not air condition the building. The pastor, who was a pretty autocratic sort of leader, said, if we don't air condition it, we won't put heat on it. That ended that. Now, what am I saying? We don't do church like we did 50 years ago. Someone has said the seven dying words, the seven last words of a dying church. You know what they are? We never did it that way before. I have no idea what David Watkins is going to come in and suggest. But let me say to you, you're not looking for Mike Shaw number two. I love Brother Mike. David loves Brother Mike. Brother Mike loves you. Brother Mike loves me. Your search committee was not looking for Brother Mike number two. They already had Mike. They didn't need number two. So listen to me carefully now. In all likelihood, he's going to do some things different from the way Brother Mike did it. Now he's going to hear up to here, Brother Mike did this, Brother Mike said this, Brother Mike did this, Brother... I don't mind you saying that. Just give him the latitude of being David Watkins. That's what we expect him to do of us. He's not going to come in here and try to make you First Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove or the Owenton Baptist Church up in Kentucky. He's got to accept us, and we'll come to that in just a moment. So you expect him to be a leader with vision. Paul preached a never-before-heard message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Nobody had ever preached that way. Nobody had ever died and then been dead three days and raised from the dead, never to die again, and yet that was the message he proclaimed. It was revolutionary. Many people of that world, like many people today, didn't believe it. They were wrong then. They'll know that when Judgment Day comes. But it was a revolutionary message. I don't know what God may have in store for our church. But remember, do not be guilty of the attitude 
I don't like change. I don't like that to be changed. I don't want this to be changed. Look, we need to change certain things. Now, I don't know what they are. It's not my position to say. But when he comes in to go through the right protocol, talk to the right people, go through the right committees and right deacons and whatever, but to come to the point and say, look, let's maybe do something different. And if it's different and it's based on the Bible and reaches people, amen. We're glad, just like we're glad to have air conditioning and a church nursery. So we expect him to be a leader with vision. The last thing we have every right to expect of him is to be a prioritizer. Now, I don't know whether that word's in the dictionary or not, but it's the best word I could come up with to summarize what I want to say to you. That is that we expect him to be a person who is a prioritizer as far as his life is concerned. You have to do the same thing. I have to do the same thing. We have to determine priorities. One thing you and Davin Watkins have in common. You don't have the same amount of money he does, doesn't have the education he does, doesn't drive the car he drives, doesn't have the wife he does, doesn't have the children he does, but there's one thing we have in common with him, and that is 168. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Think about it. That's how many hours they are in a week. Not one more, not one less. 168. I know you hear people say sometimes we're going to save time doing this. Who do you know that's ever saved time? You know anybody that's got 320 hours on deposit they can dip into? No. We can't save. Now we can use time and you can waste time, but you can't save time. So we have to be a prioritizer of what we're going to do. And Davin has to do that. First and foremost, his priority is G-O-D. What? God. First and foremost, it is God. He has to let him be number one. And whatever you do, you want to encourage him to keep the spiritual vitality of his life alive and to continue his prayer life, continue his Bible study, continue his devotion to the Lord. That is priority number one. If that gets neglected, all the rest is going to fail. So it sits that he make God number one. But now watch carefully. Many people say, then the church is number two. No, 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 no. The church is number three. The family is number two. What'd you say? What'd you say? Now, please, please hear me. Very few pastors ever hear a church say, well, pastor, you need to spend more time with your family. Pastor, why don't you take off today and be something with your family? No, there's always more to do than the man of God can get around to doing. But his family must be next to God as far as priorities. You see, remember it this way. Davin Watkins is the only husband in all likelihood Jane Ellen will ever have. You may get another preacher one day, but you can't. He's the only husband she'll ever have. And positively, those two young children, are the, he's the only daddy they will ever have. And you want him to get priority to being a good husband and to being a good father. Not perfect, but that he gives a priority to that. 
and they don't grow up the children hating the church because daddy's always gone. That can happen. That has happened. First God, then family, then our church. You have every right to expect the things that come, that he's a hard worker and he's uh, got a good work ethic. That's, that is, goes along with the call to be a preacher is to be, have a good work ethic. So we expect that and you're going to get that. But then don't neglect the last thing, himself. You expect David Watkins to give attention to himself. You say, what do you mean, preacher? The Bible says this body is a temple of the what? Holy Spirit. You don't want him to kill himself being the pastor of First Baptist Church Pelham. So tell him so. Why you say that, preacher? Here's the answer. Dead preachers don't win anybody to Jesus. Just don't forget that. So you expect him to take care of himself. Now, I don't know whether he exercises, whatever workout he has, but somehow, some way, there has to be time for himself in order for him to be the man of God we've called him here to be. Now, quickly, we've talked about what we expect of him. In all fairness, what does he have a right to expect of us? So what can he, our new pastor, expect of us? I'm going to be very practical here and just talk to you like I think you want me to. Number one, practically, hear me now, always, may I say it one more time? Always, one more time, always give him your N-A-M-E. What? Name. I wish we could all wear it across our chest for about six months. The opposite of this is after you met him, February the 1st, he gets here March the 1st, and you come by on Sunday morning, Brother Devin, do you still remember me? I won't tell him what to tell you. You say, what do you mean? Less than six weeks ago, right back here about three-fourths of the way back, somebody in your church, they may be here now, said that very thing to me. I'd known them many years ago. I said, remember you? I've been trying to forget you for 40 years. Now, they don't know whether I'm telling the truth or not. I don't no, I didn't remember them. I once they told me who they were. I did then. Well, look, you're not playing a guessing game. You're not checking his memory. Tell him your name. There's one of him. There are nearly 3,000 members of this church. So be respectful. Just say who you are and say it again and again and again and again and again and don't walk up to him and say, I'm going to see if you remember me. You're not here to put him on the spot. Just say it. And not, I tell you what, if you'll come every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night and come to visitation to be a practicing tither, he'll know your name in six months, maybe sooner. Hear me, I'm joking a little bit, but my point is always give him your name. Secondly, be patient with him. You're going to ask him to be patient with you. Be patient with him. And what I mean by that is I teach students at Beeson every semester this guiding principle of leadership. Here it is. If you're a leader, you know what I'm talking about. All Christian ministry is based on relationships. All ministry is based on relationships. You know what I'm talking about. And beside that, relationships 
are what I call a non-transferable commodity. You don't take them with you from one place to another. Today, David Watkins knows the chairman of Deacons. He knows the Sunday school director. He knows the choir director. He knows the choir members. He knows the Sunday school teachers. He knows everything about First Baptist Pleasant Grove. Come May the 1st, boom. All of that is left behind. Now, they'll still be his friends, but he's got another guy named Barry, and he's going to have to learn how to spell Carnegie probably. <laughs> the chairman of Deacons. He's got Paula Cornegan, the music. Got Mary Shaw, the pianist. And all these other people. Don Dixon. New names, new people, plus all of us. So, be patient because you see, the only way relationships are built, they're non-transferable, and the only way we build them is T-I-M-E, time. If you don't believe that, look at your marriage. Do you know more about your spouse today than you did the day you got married? You better say yes, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know you do. The longer you live with somebody, the more you get to know them. And the longer he is here as our pastor, the more the relationships will be built. It doesn't take 100 years, but it also doesn't come overnight. So be patient, very patient. Practically, give him your name. Be patient. Personally. There are things that he has every right to expect from us. Personally, I'm talking about. You say, Charles, what do you mean? I'm saying to you that you have every right to expect of him that you will accept him just like he is. You say, why? Because that's what he's got to do to us. David Watkins is not going to come in here and try to make you Pleasant Grove number two. And we're not trying to make him Mike number two. We accept him just like he is. Those of you who know me best know that oftentimes I carry on a lot of foolishness with people that I love. If I don't kid you, it means I don't love you. Know, if anybody I love, watch, my family would tell you this. I'm a, I'm a teaser. I'm a kidder. And it was not till a few years ago I saw this verse in the Bible that validates it. Read it when you get home. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. I like that. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness. The King James covers it up and said, I hope you'll put up with my folly. But the, the other translation is far better. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness. What I'm saying here. Accept him for just who he is. The way he combs his hair, the way he ties his tie, the way he appears in public, the way, all of this, you just accept him as he is because we want him to accept us the way we are. Our church has a personality. He has a personality. We accept each other. And in marriage, until you learn to do that, you're in for a lot of headache and heartache. We accept one another who they are. That doesn't mean if you'd been God, you wouldn't have made your wife or your husband a little bit different. But you're not God. Now, you may sandpaper the rough edges off, but you're not going to change their basic personnel. We ought not to try. And then a new pastor, accept him for just who he is. He will accept us the way we are. Secondly, avoid criticizing him. What? I said avoid criticizing him. Well, anybody ought to be able to take constructive criticism, preacher. Listen, 
Most people don't like criticism, whether it's constructive or destructive. I don't sit there pious and say, well, I don't mind if they just a constructive. Listen, you don't like it. Now, you may learn from it, but you still don't like it. So the best thing to do is just zip your lip. Just, you say, well, I've just got to say something. No, you don't have to say something. The Bible says, speak the truth, what? In love. Avoid criticizing him. Now, I say that because Paul even tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, that the church at Corinth, some of the people said, his speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> I'm astounded when I read it. Can you imagine those dear old saints, if they ever got to heaven, if I'd have been God, I wouldn't have let them in. But if they get to heaven and they see the man we said, amounts to nothing. He wrote half the New Testament. He wrote the greatest theological treatise ever, the book of Romans. He founded churches. And we were stupid enough to say, he's not very nice to look on and his writings are heavy, too hard to understand, and his teaching amounts to nothing. Avoid criticizing the man of God. Now, it doesn't mean at times he may not need correcting, but criticizing. I left Shays Mountain Baptist as their senior pastor 17 years ago this month. And the last Sunday I was there, I said something to you that I would ask you to profit from. I said to them, in the days ahead, I don't want you criticizing our new pastor. And if you tell me a word of criticism about him, <coughs> I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell him what you said, and I'm going to tell him who said it. 17 years, I've not heard one word of criticism. <laughs> now listen, friend, that's the opposite of people who are always going around. What'd you say? What? What? Just always open to listening to criticism. Don't be that kind of person. Just be the kind of person say, well, you know, you don't want to give any criticism to them. Just don't give the criticism. And the whole church family practices that. It makes for a much healthier working relationship. Accepting him as he is, avoid criticizing him and affirm him personally. You can do that. His priorities, first and foremost, to be a husband, then to be a father. Affirm him in that. Pastor, we're glad you're spending time with your wife. We're glad you're taking Jane Allen out on a date. We're glad you all are taking a trip together. We're glad to see you taking time for each one of those precious children. They're gifts of God. And so affirm his priorities. Quickly, certain things he has a right to expect practically. Certain things personally. Certain things financially. May I talk to you very practically here? Paul commended the church at Corinth. He said, excel in the grace of giving. And I hope you'll do that. Already Don has mentioned a goal we've tentatively set just at K. I didn't originate it, but I endorse it wholeheartedly. Come March the 1st, I hope that our financial books can be balanced with God. When I was preparing this sermon, the deficit between receipts and expenses was a little over $42,000. I believe $42,648. 
Now it's come down, but you got payroll tomorrow, so be careful. It may go back up. That lady out there called Linda, she's going to tell you how much it is every week. We'll put it in the bulletin. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the new pastor comes in and the finance committee could say, Pastor, our budget receipts have exceeded our budget expenses. You know, I don't know any pastor that goes around saying, you know, I really love my church. They never do meet the budget. I just love that about my church. They're not going to say that. It's pressure to them. So be sure that you financially recognize there is a way that you can make certain this church always is financially solvent. I'm going to give it to you in one sentence. Write it down in your Bible. Maybe put it in your checkbook. Here it is. For the Lord's people to bring the Lord's tithe to the Lord's house on the Lord's day for the Lord's work. It's pretty simple, wouldn't you say? What? I'm going to say it one more time, then I want you to say it back to me. For the Lord's people to bring the Lord's tithe to the Lord's house on the Lord's day for the Lord's work. Are you ready? Like one big choir now. <laughs> for the Lord's people to bring the Lord's tithe to the Lord's house on the Lord's day for the Lord's work. So I didn't put it on the screen, so you had to listen and memorize that. I'm joking you a little bit. That's the way to do it, folk. And then when we do that, everybody does it. Nobody has to have an improportionate share of responsibility. Financially, he has certain things to expect of us. And I hope come March the 1st, your finance committee can say to him, our books are balanced. So we have everything to right to expect of him practically, personally, financially, emotionally. He has every right to expect from us things that we can give him and nobody else can. Affection. Give your pastor love. Paul said, I've opened wide my heart to you. Now you open wide your heart to us. Listen, Devin Watkins is leaving a house and a community and a church and make, pulling up everything and coming to a part of the county uh, state he's never lived in. It's a transition He's opening wide his life to be your leader, your pastor, under the leadership of God. Now, give him affection. Now, and keep on giving it again and again and again. Now, be like the couple I read about that had been married over 40 years and they were having marital problems. They went to a counselor and he listened to her and he listened to him. He brought them both in. And he said, Ned, I think I know the problem. And he went around and pecked Mary on the cheek. He said, you need to do that about two or three times a week. He said, Doc, I don't understand it, but I'll bring her by every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> now that's what it don't do. The fact that you told him you loved him last year or that you told him you loved him on February the 1st is not going to suffice. Tell him again and again. Write a note to him. Whatever you need to do to express love and affection and encouragement. He says to the Corinthians, by all this, talking about things they've done, <coughs> we're all encouraged. You can be a minister of encouragement. You may not can sing, you may not can preach, you may not can teach, but you can always be a minister of encouragement and everybody responds positively to encouragement. The last thing you can do, you can give, you can give him support 
financially, I mean spiritually. Spiritually, Davin Watkins has every right to expect of us to spiritually undergird him when he comes in on March the 1st. That we will pray for him. Oh, I can't overemphasize that. It is an incontrovertible truth. God does things when we pray that is not done when we don't pray. You remember that statement in 1 Samuel 12, 23? David said, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Between now and March the 1st, write him a note and tell him we're praying for you. Undergirding him in prayer and especially that first Sunday. Secondly, before he even gets here, renew your love and devotion to the Lord. Paul said they first gave themselves to the Lord. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. That's what you can do spiritually. And again, affirming him with all of your love and encouragement. Pray for him. Give yourselves to him. Then you can be a minister of reconciliation. That's what the Bible calls us. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Outside the church, we're trying to get lost people to come to Christ, be reconciled to him. But inside the church, don't be a source of discord, but getting people to come together to love one another, to love God, to love the pastor, to love each other, that we're ministers of reconciliation inside the church. My observation has been across the years, most of the time, churches get the kind of pastor they create. You stop and think about that. You will be in the process of creating this young man as your pastor. You had Brother Mike 35 years. Brother Davin will be coming March the 1st. You will get the kind of pastor you help create. You'll be the kind of church that shows to him your love and devotion to him, and I promise he will show it to you. Will you stand together with us? And as we stand, would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here this morning, you'd say, Brother Charles, I don't even know the Lord personally. What can I do? Right where you're standing, if you'll make Jesus Christ number one in your life, all you need to do is step out, come forward and say today, I want to demonstrate my love and devotion to him. We'll meet you right here at the front. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for leading our church to Davin Watkins. Thank you for the prospects of his ministry here. And we pray you will pour your best of blessings upon us. In your name we pray. Amen. Paul is going to lead us in our hymn, Just As I Am. The staff will be right here at the front to welcome you on the very first stanza. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.